Thank you, Stacy. How's everybody today? All right, if you're in Kidmo, I'm going to go ahead and let you go. You can head on back to Kidmo. As we get started this morning, uh, what I'd like for us to do is, uh, as we know, we've had a we've had a difficult week in the world, right? Uh, it's we have seen some just terrible acts orchestrated around our world, uh, most visibly in Paris and uh, also in Lebanon. And unfortunately, while those events become very real to us. And we are aware of those things based on what hits the news or our Facebook feeds. For many, this is a way of life. This is the way they live. This is happening every day in their cities. And so as we remember those that have lost their lives, we also recognize what we've been talking about in this series is there's only one thing that can bring real change to people. And that's real change from the inside out. It's real change that God gets a hold of us and our hearts change. there's, There's not legislation. There's not a battle plan. The only thing that can change the world is the love of Christ. So let's just take a few minutes and uh, or a couple of minutes. We're, we're just going to pray quietly together and then um, be remembering the families that have been affected, those that are living in fear, fear that more is going to happen. Let's be praying for uh, those that are in positions of authority there so that they can be able to lead well and provide protection for their nations. Let's pray for our own nation and others that are also dealing with these attacks. And uh, let's ask God to bring healing into this world. So let's just take a moment to pray quietly together, and then, um, and then I'll uh, close this out corporately. Let's pray. Father, in the beginning, you created us to be at peace with you, to be at peace with each other, to enjoy your creation fully, full of hope and joy, love and peace between your creation. And yet, as sin has entered into this world, this world is continuing to just tear itself apart. And Father, we pray that for those that are most aware of the reality of hatred and anger, the need for control, and the real presence of evil in this world. We, we pray that you would be with them today. As many are struggling because they lost someone very close to them, we're thankful for those that survived the attacks in these cities. Father, we pray for those that are going on with someone that didn't. Lord, we pray that you give wisdom to our leaders. I pray that you would give them 
uh, the wisdom to make good decisions. Father, I pray that the church will be what the church is supposed to be, a source of hope in a world that has very little. Father, I pray that you would uh, be with those that are tasked to protect us, to be thrown into harm's way instead of us. We pray that you would protect them, that you would watch over them. Father, for those that are facing real dilemmas today, is that they must choose either a life on earth or a life with you in heaven. And they are given the choice that their life will be ended if they do not recant their faith in you. We, we pray that you would give them courage. We pray that you would remind them that this world that we see is so small and insignificant compared to the greatness of who you are and for the eternity that awaits us. Father, I pray that the good news that you have given us through Jesus Christ would spread throughout this world in all of the dark places to bring light and hope and healing. God, I thank you for your grace and your love that you are with us even when we perpetuate so many terrible things in the world. You have chosen to love us. I thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there's a lot going on in the world. It's uh, been somewhat of a depressing last few days as we've uh, watched so many terrible things happen and perpetuated on people. And yet we know that God is able to do anything in this world that he created. And uh, we are thankful that we have an opportunity, though uh, we may not be called upon to address what happened in Paris. We do have an opportunity to address those that are struggling today, and I'm really excited about what we're going to be doing for Christmas. Now, I'll be honest with you, in what Stacy shared, we, we had several conversations about, can we, can we do this? Can we do all this? Uh, we felt led that this Christmas, we needed to focus our attention on the, the area around us and those uh, ministries that we have built relationships with over the years. And uh, so Widow's Harvest is a great ministry. Room in the Inn is a great ministry. You're so excited that Room in the Inn has a great... You know what it means to be a graduate of Room in the Inn? It, it means that you were a woman or a single mother uh, with children that was homeless. You were taken in. You've gone through not just the opportunity to be clothed and sheltered and fed, but you've gone through training so that you can leave Room in the Inn and that you can go out and sustain yourself and your family. And it means that you are now ready to go do that. And this graduate that we have the opportunity to help, who was homeless, who we don't know all of the circumstances of what was going on in her life, but she has gone through all of the training. She has gotten a job, and now she has a place to go to to live, provided for by herself, but she has nothing to do life with. So that's what we're going to help with her is just the opportunity to have some of the very basic things for her to live life. So, uh, and it's just amazing the, the number of things that, that she has requested as needs are very small, <laughs> very small, not asking for big extravagant things. So it's an opportunity to help there. And then also some families for Christmas, uh, we're going to have the opportunity to help. And we'll give you some more information as we move on to that. I hope that you'll uh, be a part of that and you'll participate if you're giving towards that and 
and uh, you're also a, a, a just a, a giver to Journey, uh, we're asking your Christmas gifts are above and beyond that. Uh, so consider prayerfully what your family can do. It's, if you have young kids, it's great to get your kids involved in this kind of stuff. If you want to get involved in helping some immediate needs right around the, uh, the community, as David mentioned, Widow's Harvest this Thursday, they're serving a meal, and we need six people to go help. I think we have maybe two. I'm not sure how many we have right now, but we need at least four more. So if you're available on Thursday, come, go see Kim. Kim, would you raise your hand? If you don't know Kim, go see her, and uh, she'll get you hooked up for that. All right? All right. Part three of Inside Out. Now, last week, uh, I had two sermons prepared, and I gave them both. I want you to know today I only have one, and I'm only going to give one. But uh, today we're going to take a a little bit of a shift in what we've been doing so far. So, so far, as we have gone through this series, what we have recognized is that a lot of people will try to change their lives through simple behavior modification. It's, it's some of the ways that we raise our children. Some of us within different areas of our life, we want to see improvement or growth in. We try to modify our behavior. Sometimes we get help through medication or through tools or trainers or whatever to help us change the behavior that's become so normal for us. But what we know is that true change cannot happen through simple behavior modification. Now, in the church, we often want to focus on these things because they're very easy to identify. We can put a three-step plan together. We can say, well, you need to now spend your time doing this, put a rubber band on your wrist and flip it every time you think about doing whatever. We can, you know, come up with these strategies. They're very easy to come up with. The problem is they don't address the core things inside of us that are causing those behaviors to begin with. We're just... Addressing the symptoms, not the root problem. But true change, the kind of change that's lasting, is the kind that comes from the inside and then it radiates to the outside of our lives. And it literally will, this kind of change will change everything about you because it's changing the very fabric of who you are and how you see the world. So change from the inside out is the kind of change that can help you deal with anger. It's the kind of change that can help you deal with addiction. It's the kind of change that can help you be forgiving of someone that you have not been able to forgive for years. That total inward change radiates outward. And it can do things that simply modifying our behavior will never do. And in reality, what we know from most studies is that behavior modification is not long-lasting. It works for a little while, and then you just revert back to old behaviors because you've not addressed what's really going on the inside of your life. So as we go through this, last week we discussed uh, that that true change happens in our relationship with God and that the way God sees us and the way that we see God changes. Our relationships, all of our relationships will change when we begin to be changed from the inside. Side. And our most important one is our relationship with God. We're no longer at war with God. We're at peace with God. We can walk with God. God can interact with us, communicate with us. He gives us the Holy Spirit to cause this change within us. It is incredible how things change for the believer who knows that God is real and he is their savior. 
For Christians, your relationship is going to change, not just with God, but it's also going to change with other believers. So here's what we're going to do for the rest of this series. This week, I'm going to talk about how does our relationship change with believers. And then next week, Stacy's going to talk about how does our relationship change with people who are not believers. She talked a little bit about that last week as we uh, talked about the, the uh, International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. So we're going to be talking about that next week. But today I want to talk to you about how does your relationship change with believers. It should change with believers. Now, if you are a curious person about faith with us today, you're not really sure this is for you, then you're going to get a lot of good information today. However, I will tell you that this week and next week are really primarily going to be focused on people who say, yeah, I'm in, I believe, I, I need Jesus. He has changed me. I'm not saying that you are absolutely changed and you're the best person ever walked the planet, but I'm saying that you are in. So this is a little bit of an insider conversation, but if you're just not sure about your faith, you're not sure you're in yet, it's going to help you understand what will change if you decide you do want to be in on a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm going to make some assumptions as we go through this because we all know bad Christians, right? We all know somebody gets Christians a bad name. And for some of you, you're thinking, yeah, my friends are thinking of me right now. I'm the one that gives it a bad name. Right? Somebody just agree with me? Oh, you're the one? I thought you meant I was the one. Okay, it's possible. No. So I'm going to go on some, some assumptions so that we don't just generalize and stereotype everybody. The assumption number one is this, that not everyone that calls themselves a Christian is one. All right? I'm not going to assume that everybody who says I'm a Christian is one. I'm also not going to assume that everybody is in the same place in their walk with Christ and that they are at the same level of maturity as everybody else. We all know people who are the superstars. I mean, they just... They know God. They walk with God. They are so humble. They are giving. They never get angry. They're asking forgiveness all the time. They're always giving forgiveness to others. They just know their scripture and they're able to use it in everyday ways to help people live their lives in a way that is fulfilling. We all know those people that just are beyond. And so they are going to act in some of the ways that I'm going to share with you a little different than maybe some of us who are new in our faith. So Not all are mature in the same way or in the same place in their walk with Jesus Christ. But here's what I do know is that God intends for all believers to move in the same direction, even if he uses different paths. So all of us should be moving in the same direction. However, that does not mean that God is going to take us all the same way to get there. It doesn't mean we all attend the same kinds of churches. It doesn't mean we all read the same version of the Bible. It doesn't mean we all grew and mature in the same 10-step process. But yet God moves us in a constant direction. Now, for the word believer, I'm going to use that. There's lots of terms we can use. Christ follower, Christian, a follower of the way. That's what they talked about in the early church, but I'm going to use the term believer. And I don't mean that they believe facts. I mean, they believe wholeheartedly that this is true. All right. So here's my definition of believer for today. Those who believe in the Lordship of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, 
and they are changing to become like Christ as a result. Now that last part is highly important to understand how I'm going to be talking about believers. I'm not saying you have to be there, but you need to be on the process of becoming more like Christ. There are a lot of people who believe the very basics of faith. They can uh, recite doctrine and theology. They've learned Bible verses, but yet they have never at any point in their life been willing to sacrifice their own ambitions in order to give up and follow the way that Christ leads. So that's going to be the working definition of a believer. I'm not saying you're perfect. I'm not saying you don't mess up. I'm not saying you don't, things don't slip out of your mouth or, or you don't still get mad or you're still struggling to live the things that you've just learned about in, in your, your Bible reading. I, I'm not saying that you're perfect, but I'm saying you're moving in the direction. That's what a believer is for this discussion, okay? Is everybody with me? Is everybody awake? It's a little chilly in here. We're going to hopefully get a little more heat in here next week. But we don't want it too hot because then you go to sleep on me. I know how that works. So, uh, all right. So if you've got your Bibles, you can follow along. We're going to be in Philippians today. You can follow along in a Bible. You can follow along on version. If you've got a smartphone, a, a tablet, whatever, you can follow along on version. And uh, it's a great tool. If you've never used it before, um, you can go through, write notes, send notes to yourself. It's just a, a, a great tool for us to use. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 1. It says this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind common direction, a common God, a common teaching. God is moving us all based on what is changing within us. See, one of the things that I know about believers is that believers have a common world view. They have a common worldview, and it supersedes anything that we see when we walk out of our doors, get in our cars, and drive around this country or travel this world. The worldview changes when you know that Jesus is real, that God did create all of this. He has invited us into a relationship, and we have chosen to reject him. Our worldview changes because we know that sin is real. We know that sin does have real consequences in the world. It does lead people to make terrible decisions and take the lives of others. It does lead people to choose that whatever's best for me needs to happen no matter who it hurts for me to have it. That common worldview says God is in control. God is the one who matters, not me. God's will must be done. Not mine. And I I know that especially if you have ever taken pride in anything in yourself, in your life, accepting that reality can be very difficult. Because it requires humility within us that is not easy for us to have. You know, I like when people tell me I do good things. I've done a good job. 
I don't, I don't have any trouble at all thinking about what I want to do with my day, with my time, with my money. I don't have any problem with that. When I start thinking about what do I want to do with my day, my time, my money, then uh, it, you know, it's like the day just flies by. Anybody else? It's when I have to think about what do I need to do for other people's day, other people's time, and other people's money, unless that money has a direct impact on me and what I get to do with it. <laughs> it can sometimes be a long day, right? Subverting our own will, subverting our own egos, and subverting our own ambitions for what God wants for us takes a change of the heart. And it's not easy. If it were easy, Jesus wouldn't have given his life for it. If it were easy, he would not have had to promise us that he was sending the Holy Spirit to live within us to cause these changes to happen. We would be able to do it on our own. Yet many of us are trying to do it on our own. We're trying to modify those behaviors. But if you try to take that route, you will never change your worldview. Christians have a similar worldview. It doesn't mean we agree on everything. It doesn't mean we have the same opinions on everything. It certainly doesn't mean we agree on the interpretation of every passage of Scripture. But we still have a common worldview. We see the world in a similar way. We are moving in a similar direction, and we are seeing it from the eyes of the same God who is active within us. So our worldview changes. What we know is that you aren't alone if you're a believer, and you don't have to go it alone. With other believers, you have the chance to come together. And what is great is when you get to spend time with someone who sees the world the way you do. Those frustrating times, although sometimes it's kind of fun, but those frustrating times are when you're constantly with people who see the world in a different way. And you have conflict over it. Because, hey, that's not the way the world works. Well, yeah, it is. If you want any indication of how divided our nation is, all you have to do is watch the presidential debates right now such drastic changes in world views are so different but as believers we have the same world view because it comes from the same god who is active and working in all of this what paul is saying to the church at philippi is have this same view together to that end What we're real good at is, I don't know how we got so good at this within the church, but we're really good at tearing down other Christians. (laughs) I don't know how we got so good at this. I think part of it is is well motivated or or good motives. And and it's that we're trying to protect the purity of what we believe the message is. And so if we see somebody who is not delivering the message in some level of purity that we perceive as pure, then we want to make sure that we clear up any misunderstandings. The problem is, is because we haven't dealt with anger or unrighteous judgment, we tend to hurl that at other Christians faster than people outside the world. So even though we're supposed to have the same worldview, one of the things we struggle with in the church today is just giving each other a hard time. What we need to do is stop criticizing every Christian over a difference of opinion. Now, you know me, those of you who have been here for a while, I'm a firm believer that if you are out representing Christ in a way that is not true, it needs to be pointed out. But we have to learn how to do that with love. We'll get, we'll get to that in a minute. 
Philippians 3, verse 20 says this. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You and I, as believers, are no longer citizens of this world. We live here. We pay taxes. I hope you're paying taxes. If you're not, you're not going to be coming to church with us much longer. They'll catch up with you. They want their money. I go to work. I obey the laws, most of the laws that don't have anything to do with the freeway. But um, I obey the laws, right? And uh, But this is not my home any longer. Paul said it so well. It is better for me to die and to be with Christ. But until that time comes, it is better for me to be here with you. This isn't our home anymore. This isn't our world. We are still here to make a difference and a positive impact on this world, but this is not our world anymore. Believers have a common worldview. Believers also have a common authority. And the reality is, is that Jesus is our king. The reality is our home is in a better place. Our authority as it comes together is through Scripture because God breathed His Word through people throughout history and has preserved it for us to know His thoughts, to know His teachings, to know how to follow Him. I believe one of the reasons we don't, in this nation, perform so many miracles, we talked about this in our starting point group this past Wednesday, is because God has given us so much to believe Even Jesus came to the point where he no longer wanted to perform miracles for people because he recognized people wanted to show they didn't want to be changed. And so, even today, we can struggle with that. We want to see God do something. We want to see a miracle. We want to see God just magnificently heal the people that we love that are sick. And sometimes he doesn't because he's given us so much for us to hope for. Many of us are trying so hard to get everything out of this life. We're scraping, we're clawing to get everything out of this life. And yet he has promised us that this pales in comparison to the life that has to come. That's what's coming. That's our home. And we have a different authority. Most people today, if you want to watch what's going on in many of the protests going around our nation, most people today want the authority in their lives to be themselves. Every one of us have lived that way at some point. Some of us are living that way now. We all want to be the, the, the ultimate authority. That's why being offended is such a powerful thing right now. I, I should be able to live my life and do what I want and not ever be offended by anyone else. In other words, they should bow to my authority. And people are finding ways to do that in this society and culture that's become so lax. But yet believers recognize that we have a common authority. Can you imagine what would happen if... God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were not three in one, but were three separate with three different agendas. And we had God the Father telling us one thing, God the Son telling us another thing, and God the Holy Spirit telling us a third thing. Can you imagine what would be going on here? That happens all the time. It happens in our churches whenever we have uh, you know, churches that say, hey, everything needs to go be about this. And another church says, everything needs to be about this. And everything else needs to be about this. We do this all the time. And so we say, no, you're wrong. We're right. It's not something new. 
New Testament tells us that they did that even in the early church. I'm from this teacher. I'm from this teacher. I'm from this teacher. No, we have one authority in a common direction, moving us in a common place. And so as believers, we can rest in the fact that if God is active within us, we're going to move together. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, moving on, says, Do nothing from selfish ambition, which, by the way, I'm thankful for grace because verses like this mess me up. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Well, I cannot say that I am a good follower of Jesus based on this verse because I still have selfish ambition. Anybody else? Yeah, a few of you. Okay, you're bad Christians too. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. Now, that's important. He's saying, this is the way you need to see this, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And that equality with God is is so evident in so many ways in how we see authority and how we do spend our time and our finances. He never made it about himself. It was always about the will of the Father. Paul's saying, take that and make that your worldview, the will of the Father. Verse 7 says, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human, in, excuse me, found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, I've shared with you in different ways, I believe one of the most critical issues for the church today, and not necessarily for the church, but for the people who make up the church, is the issue of humility. It's something I work on. I have not arrived. I like to think I'm more humble than most of you, but as you can tell, I'm still working on it. Humility is one of the most crucial characteristics of a believer. You cannot know Christ without some, some level of humility. Because it is at that point that you say, I can't do it on my own. I'm not good enough on my own. The world shouldn't revolve around me. I need a savior and I need to be forgiven and I need help to live this life. That requires humility. Repentance is humility. And so what we have to understand is that that is not just the point at which we become a Christian and then now we're good again, but it's an ongoing process, constantly humbling ourselves before the one who is our authority. See, Christians and believers should not struggle with authority issues because we have bowed to the ultimate authority. Now, we may struggle with Authority requiring us to do things that we know are wrong. But few of us really have to deal with that in life. But instead, we have to, at some point, bow to that. What we also know is that believers are the body of Christ. Now, you've heard that said if you've been in church any amount of time in your life. You've heard it said that you are the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. And The reality is that some of us, we know that that's supposed to be true. We don't really know what that means. But I want you to imagine that Jesus could have stayed here. He could have stayed with us. 
he could still be teaching the message to generation after generation after generation. He could still be doing that. When he rose from the dead and he came back, he did not have to ascend to heaven. But he did. And he left very clear instructions that while he is gone, because he is coming back, but while he is gone, we will fulfill the work that he had in this world. We are the body of Christ. We talk about being the hands and the feet of Christ. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. We take on what he says should be our priorities. They become our priorities. We take on the activities he says we should spend our time in. We spend our time in those activities. We take the mission that he was focused on, and that becomes the mission that we are focused on. And by us following the things that he has taught us, we have become the presence of Christ in this world for a time. But you're the body of Christ and that you must have each other. <laughs> I'm thankful we got to have each other because quite honestly, if it were up to me, if every one of us, when I became a Christian, he said, you know what? You have to change the world by yourself. I'd be like, you're crazy. I'm out of here. This is ridiculous. And yet he says, you will do it together. You are the body of Christ. When we accept Jesus as our Savior, we do sacrifice our own ambitions. Those, that sacrificial altar is likely going to be very well used throughout your lifetime. Because throughout our lives, different ambitions are going to come up. Some are given by God and some are not. Finding the ones that are not inspired by God that we have to sacrifice in order to focus on the ones that are inspired by Him, that's a lifelong process. The people that I know are just spiritual giants were not spiritual giants from day one, but they've continued to grow throughout their time in relationship with Christ. They just keep going. So I hope what can be said about us, the believers that are here, is that I may not be where I need to be long term, but I'm not where I was. So if you can say I'm not where I was, you're growing, and that's good, and that is where God wants us to be. As we talked about last week, there even the reality that as we become Christians, even if the seed falls on fertile soil, not everyone will bear fruit to the same amount, but God will be pleased with us all. We don't have to be equal to still be moving in the same direction. One of the, the things I hope that you have picked up in your time with us is that we also need to be focused on the mission of Christ that all would know him, that we would be focused on keeping our priorities where they need to be. I don't think a red coffee cup is where our priorities need to be. Many of us have gotten upset, and listen, I, I hear you. Starbucks is not a Christian company. They don't like Christians. They don't like conservatives. They don't like Republicans. If you're any of those three, they don't care if you buy their coffee. But... They're also not claiming to be a Christian organization. And they have no control over the church in this world. Just like behavior modification addresses the symptoms of the root problem, getting upset about red coffee cups is getting upset about a symptom, not the real problem. And when we get so focused on the symptoms then we don't spend time dealing with the real problems that are happening in the world. So if you're upset about it, I get it. 
They, the CEO of Starbucks has not hidden the fact that he is not a fan of Christians. He's not. He could care less if we ever darken the, one of his stores. But that doesn't mean that we have to get in an uproar about the little things. We need to stay focused on the big things. All right? So this is just one. We're gonna, we have these all the time popping up. We have to fulfill his mission in this world by keeping our priorities together. One of the things about being the body of Christ is sometimes we need each other to help us do that. It may, it may surprise you to know that all my priorities are not always focused on God's mission. It may surprise you. If you've known me for any amount of time, probably doesn't surprise you. Sometimes I need somebody to come alongside of me and say, Mark, let's get the priorities right. Sometimes you need somebody to come alongside of you and say, let's get the priority, let's keep the priorities straight. One of the beautiful things about community is we can help each other continue to move in the same direction of where God wants to take us. Sometimes we need other Christians to help us stay focused. The body of Christ not only is focused on fulfilling his mission, it's focused on sharing his compassion. Believers are the greatest caregivers in the world because they have great amount of mercy, great amount of empathy. Now, some of you, we've been talking about spiritual gifts, and some of you have the gift of mercy, and you're very merciful. And some of us don't have the gift of mercy and could be perceived as less than merciful. It doesn't mean God doesn't love us. He's not active in our lives. But overall, believers are able to take the care and the compassion of Jesus and continue to share it with the world. Do they see that in us? Not only do we as a body of Christ continue his mission, not only do we continue to share his compassion, but we also continue his worship. And worship this morning was awesome. Now, you may be a southern gospel man. You are on fire whenever you hear the Gaither vocal band. Now, we've got family members in our family that if the Gaither vocal band were here, they would stampede over you in order to get a good seat up front. Right? Not me. Not me. I'm at Starbucks drinking out of the red cup. <laughs> but that's where they are. All right? So that's fine. Uh, the combination of Rise and King and, and uh, Rise and Sing and Savior King back to back, I'm ready to go. I just, just, I'm good all week. So I, I just appreciate all the work they put into those. Man, just awesome songs. Jesus constantly was worshiping. He didn't require a worship service. He didn't require musicians. He worshiped because his heart was in tune with his father. We continue that. We continue his worship, even if it's not in a worship service at the moment. And then not only do we do those things, because we are the body of Christ, we help each other grow. Some of you are incredible teachers. Some of you are just incredible helpers. You just come alongside. If there's a need, you so humbly and willingly and gracefully just jump in and help. It's just amazing. God is active in you. Some of us who are leading sometimes struggle with ambitions. And those who are graceful givers and helpers remind a driven leader that we need to share compassion and grace. It helps us grow. We need each other. We can't do this by ourselves. 
If we read in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks a lot about this. I'm going to read through this real quickly. But he talks about this body working together. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body. Even all of us separate people, different priorities, different looks, different hairlines and hair color, different jobs, different everything. We're one. We're one body. So it is with Christ. Verse 13 says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part. And if an ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, where would the sense of hearing be if the whole body were an ear where would the sense of smell be but as it is god arranged the members in the body each one of them every one of you and me each one of them as he chose if all were a single member where would the body be as it is there are many parts yet one body he goes on he wants to drive this point home because this is obviously a problem that lots of churches dealt with The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Within the body, if we were rocking along at 100% efficiency, No one would ever suffer alone. I mean, if we were at 100% efficiency, when anything good happened in anybody's life, we would all be celebrating with them. We wouldn't really have a whole lot of time to suffer because we would just be celebrating all the time because something great happened to you. But a lot of times when those ambitions come in and when we forget that we're a part of the body and we get focused on our own agendas and our own needs and our own wants and our own desires, it's hard for us to celebrate the success of others because we only begin to feel our own personal success. That's why many of us begin to close in on our our own lives and our own problems and our own issues is because we have forgotten how to celebrate and rejoice with others because something good is going on in their life. It's very easy to celebrate when something good goes on in our lives. What happens when we celebrate what goes on in someone else's life? Whenever we suffer, you never have to suffer alone. You, You have people that are there with you, suffering with you. You know, many of us have some of those relationships. We have those people, and they have made a drastic difference in our lives, and that's, it's, it's phenomenal, it's amazing. But imagine if all believers were to embrace that identity, what it could be like. We are the body of Christ. I want to finish out Philippians chapter 2, those first 11 verses. The last three verses says, Therefore God has 
highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What I would leave with you is that if all of these things are working together, we are on mission with God. If we are caring the way that Jesus cared, if we are sacrificing our ambitions for his mission, it will change us at the very center of our hearts that it will begin to change all of our relationships. It will definitely change our relationship with other believers. But believers are focused on eternity with God for everyone. Believers are focused on eternity with God for everyone. I'm not saying everyone is going to be in heaven. I'm saying that for the believer, they want everyone they know to be there. There are so many things that are built into that one statement. The only reason we want them there is because we know it is highly valuable. We know that it is real and it is true. We know that there is an alternative if we do not choose Jesus. We know that life exists with Christ. Death exists without Christ. We know that you will do it alone if you don't have somebody there with you. And they know the joy that comes whenever they do sacrifice their own ambitions to follow God. Now, I feel like I need to do a disclaimer on these kinds of sermons because it's very easy for us to look at all and nitpick ourselves Uh, through sermons like this we start thinking about all our failures and all our problems or what's worse is we start picking out somebody else and all their problems and all their failures so if i were to give a disclaimer in all of this it would be this that in all that god has called us to in all of our ability to follow him it only happens with great grace and mercy we are by grace saved through our faith Not of our own works that we can brag about it, but it is the gift of God. It is by his mercy that we continue to exist, that we continue to make mistakes, and yet we can heal and move forward. And so as we look at our lives, we go, wow, I just, I know I'm not measuring up. And I see these other people and they are, and I am so not even close to that. We recognize that God loves us. Through his grace and mercy, he will take us there if we want him to. But we don't have to live in defeat. We are the body of Christ. And we have a role to play in this world. And when you are changed on the inside, all that you do on the outside will be changed as well. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you that that you have called us to a high standard and yet you have given us great grace when we fall short. I thank you for the many examples that we have in this room, examples of our friends and our family members who have given their lives, their ambitions, their egos for you, examples of great humility for us to follow, for those that are on mission following the teachings of Jesus to give his compassion and his care to worship regularly to show the world what it looks like to know true forgiveness and true peace. Father, I pray that you would help us to continue to move in the same directions, we as a church, knowing where we are headed. Father, I pray you would show us what it looks like to be your people in this place at this time. 
God, as all of this unrest is going on around the world, I pray that you would give us courage to speak truth. You would give us courage to share our worldview that comes from you. Because it is through seeing things through God's eyes that we are healed. I thank you for the gift of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the tomb. We don't have to be good enough. We don't have to modify our behavior enough. We don't have to do enough stuff in order to be loved by you and to be able to receive the gift of salvation through Jesus. I thank you that we don't have to do those things, but instead we've received it through grace. Help us to be your people. Help us to know you and to follow you faithfully in all we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.